Let's just finish uh, chapter 17, then we'll move into chapter 18 and uh, the idea of repentance. Uh, Curiously, chapter 18 is really all about repentance, and the Greek word for repent doesn't occur in chapter 18. Just a curiosity I thought I'd share with you. So one of those things. There is an alternate word for repent, which is to turn, but not the usual word for repent, which is metanoeo, but more about that in the chapter. So 17:22. while they were gathering together in Galilee, Jesus said to them, the son of man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him, but on the third day he will be raised. And they were greatly distressed. And I wonder sometimes if the disciples were thinking, uh, is this symbolic? But it wasn't, of course. He's just telling them the truth and the chronology of what's going on. But they're kind of wondering what's going on. And he came to Capernaum. Those who collected the temple tax came to Peter and said, doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? And he said, yes. So they, they were required to pay a certain amount of money for the temple that was the thing. Uh, many people paid it when they would go to the temple a certain number of times each year. Um, we seem to be approaching um, the Feast of Tabernacles uh, and the Great Day of Atonement in this part of Matthew. In fact, I, I mentioned last time that that might have been on Peter's mind during the Transfiguration. Um, but one thing is certain about Matthew's Gospel. It doesn't follow a very strict chronology. Matthew seems to be all over the place. And in fact, one uh, Wells pastor from the previous century wrote, anyone who, I, I, I don't have exactly what his words were, but it's something like this. Anyone who tries to figure out the chronology of the Gospels is doomed to failure if they fail to take into account Matthew's lack of a chronology. So if you get caught up in, but Luke says versus but Matthew says, you, you kind of have to assume that Luke and John are correct with their ABC 1, 2, 3 outline, but that Matthew just jumps around. So, yeah. This is two different accounts. Yep. This is the fish one. Okay. Yeah. Let's get to that part. So, oh yeah. Uh, when he came into the house, Jesus spoke first. What do you think, Simon? From who do the kings of the earth collect tolls or a tax? From their own sons or from others? And Peter said to him, from others. And Jesus said to him, then the sons are exempt. So who's supposed to pay the temple tax? Everybody except Jesus. Yeah, everybody except Jesus. Would you mind, I would like to show you this street. This is North Main Street, Poinette, Wisconsin, from about 19, um, I'm guessing about 1930 or 1940. Um, the far right-hand building, do you see it says Russell up at the top? Or maybe you can't see that, but it's the far right-hand building. That was a harness shop. Those two windows with their arched pieces 
were where I lived for a time with my grandparents um, after my mom died. Uh, this is what it looks like today. This is the old paint store in Poinette where my grandparents lived. That lattice in between Dick Marquardt's insurance building and my dad's paint store, you see the lattice there in between the two? That wasn't there when I was a kid. And that alley is 11 inches wide. And we used to run through it as kids. Instead of going around, we would tear down, because there's a little gutter there, and we would run through that all the time. Today, I look at that, and I look down, and I think, oh, once upon a time, yeah, I could. Um, but uh, so those, are the, those two windows on the left are the ones that, that was my bedroom. The, below them are where my grandfather had his shop. My great-grandmother, Grandma Hulda, lived there. That was her bedroom until she died in 1965. And I, her funeral is the first memory that I have as a child. I was two. And I remember going through her, her things and so forth. My Uncle Dave moved into her room when he was a teenager the following year and lived out his high school years in there and so forth. But that was the paint store. I wanted to tell you this paint store story, though, about my grandma, and it has to do with this. So, anybody know what this is? Those are one-ounce jars of Tester's model paints. Grandma, had, grandma and Grandpa had the best rack of those because it was a gravity-fed rack. They slid down, and there were three or four rows of them, and every color, you know, it was like the, it was like the good crayon box, but paint. Um, and uh, I've always thought of this along with this account, because the sons don't pay. When my brother and I would be making a plastic model of a car or a, or a dinosaur or whatever it was as kids, we would walk down to the paint store and tell Grandma, I'm making a model, and she would say, oh, goody, let's give you some paints. And we would, Mom would always be sure that we had money in our pockets first because they were 15 cents when I was a kid. And so you'd take $1.50 thinking you're going to get 10 or 9 right? But grandma would look in your bag and she would say, oh, but you don't have this one. And she would drop another one and another. And finally, grandma would inevitably say, now, do you have one of everything? Do you need two black and two white? Do you have thinner? Do you have a couple brushes? And that bag would be, a couple times I think the bag broke on the way home. It was so full. And those wonderful jars never broke, you know. It, uh, but um, we were never allowed to pay. You know, the sons don't pay. And that's what Jesus is saying about the temple. Um, working with little paints with my boys in my mature years, I really miss the free paint. Uh, I really miss the free paint. Because um, I made the mistake of asking one of my sons once, now do you have one of everything? And I think the shop owners, I, I actually saw the dollar signs go ka-ching in the shop owner's si uh, eyes when I said that. Yeah, But still, let's go on. So, but so that we do not offend them, go to the sea. What sea? We're in Capernaum. So Sea of Galilee. 
Cast a hook and take the first fish that you pull up. When you open its mouth, you will find a silver coin. Take that coin and give it to them for me and for you. So uh, it appears in a lot of uh, artwork in the ancient world. This is from a manuscript. You can see the writing actually backwards in the background from the page on the other side. But there is uh, Peter. You see Jesus to Peter's right with the, the bigger halo. The halo of Jesus always has a cross in it. You know, that's what those extra bars are. And uh, Peter is just an ordinary halo, if I can call it that. And then the merchant, or the, the uh, uh, tax collector, I suppose, is coming out with his, what would you say there? 14th century Flemish hose, or whatever he's wearing. I can't really gauge his... Uh... However, sometimes we do date Bible manuscripts by the artwork. What are the people wearing? Because that's what the artist would have drawn. The artist didn't have an idea of what they wore in ancient times. You know, usually they just drew whatever they saw people around them wearing. Go ahead. His mouth is just open. He has the coins in his hand. Oh, that's a it's a hand. And that, that line coming out of the fish's mouth is, the, I think, a fold in the cloak. Oh. So, not quite like the Jonah story where we get to talk about the word puke in Hebrew and so forth. Yeah. Don't say you never learned anything in my class. <laughs> Matthew 18. I'm just going to start the chapter with no introduction, I think. At that time, the disciples approached Jesus and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? I do have a comment in the handout, I think, that there might be no separation of time between this and the previous chapter, but I don't, I'm not really sure. Uh, Beth, the heat is turned on. I just came in a hot car from across. But uh, there is somebody's sweater behind you rolled up in a ball. If you, <laughs> it's been there for about two months, so I think it's. Think it's. Uh, that's okay. I haven't started yet. So the disciples approached Jesus and asked, "Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven?" What? What? This comes out of the blue, doesn't it? This, this odd question. Who is greatest? Go ahead. Did this come because it was the transfiguration? But again, I don't know if this is connected chronologically to the previous chapter. So I, I don't know. I, I, I really don't know. Uh, but it, it's something they did talk about from time to time. And who's the greatest? Um, well, Jesus called a little child and had him stand in the middle of them and said, Amen, I tell you, unless you are turned and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever receives a little child like this one in my name receives me. Um, so, what quality do little children have that we should copy? Trust with no doubt at all. No doubt whatsoever. Um, the Kushels were here, and little Patrick, they found out, is now four ounces behind his sister in weight. You know, and what is it, two years difference or three years between the two of them? 
Um, and yet Patrick lays there in the car seat. Is he, he is completely trustworthy. Uh, a baby doesn't know doubt or fear when a baby is in the arms of its mother. Right? Yeah. I didn't look that up. Probably should have, but there's hardly a difference. Although the baby is standing here in verse, in verse 2, right? So, uh, uh, Pidas, a child of some kind, toddler or, or what have you. But, um, but a baby doesn't, a child doesn't really know fear or doubt. Um, and when it comes to God, to Jesus, Little babies trust completely. Um, have any of, ever, any of you ever witnessed a child running up to me and calling me Jesus? Because it does happen. Um, what a burden that is on a pastor. You know, the, the family will, you, you, you're confident the family will explain it later. But right now, we're going to God's house, we're going to go see Jesus. And what does the child see? There's Pastor Smith in his terrible beard and his white gown, and that must be Jesus. Um, and, you know, and I sit with the children, and, and my associates do the same thing, and we bless them. And so they, they think, they wonder. And you don't want to be there when that, that uh, connection gets broken. But you have to sometimes. You have to do it as gently as possibly. You know, I'm not Jesus, but he is my boss. I work for him, and Jesus is in heaven, you know, and so forth. And usually, the older a kid is, the easier that is, but when they're little, that just goes over their heads anyway, so it's okay. But whoever humbles himself like this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Why is a little child humble? Well, what are the things I can't do when I'm a little child? Everything. <laughs> yeah, I don't get to make decisions. I can't beat my brother in wrestling. Um, I can't argue against my dad. I can't say anything bad to grandma. You know, that I, I, uh, I don't get to pick. I don't get to, you know, my world is filled with I don't get to is I am humble. Because I know the, what do they call it, the pecking order. Yes. In my family, in the household, even on the playground. Um, it, woe to the child who is the top of the heap on the playground because they will not learn a lesson, at least not yet. Um, what happens? Finally, that child will end up as the low man in the company or on the campus of some other school, and then they will find out, oh, I'm not such a big deal. Um, but the sooner we find that out, the better for, for each one of us. I suppose it's tr tremendous for building one's confidence, but it's not about building reality for the child, not at all. Um, and whoever receives a little child like this one in my name receives me. For the one who stands up for the child, the one who receives the child, the one who takes care of the child, that is one who receives me. Who maybe I, I would guess that maybe everybody in this room has done something extraordinarily kind for a child at some point. Maybe a child you didn't know, um, and 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 could probably share that kind of a story. 
Um, I mean, I have. And, uh, and I suppose in the same way that we sin according to our capacity, we also do good works according to our capacity. And sometimes, especially with folks like, uh, like you, many of whom have been either uh, a teacher or a mom, you have helped a child in need and one that you maybe didn't know. Maybe somebody's friend came over for dinner and you wondered, do they get fed at their house very much? You know, based on the way they just tore through my cupboard, does this child get fed anything at home? Or, and, the, and the, so sometimes is the offer, would you like to stay for dinner, Charlie? Is that a kindness? You know, every now and then, and depending on how their face lights up, you can really tell. You know, would they love to come over? Um, in my childhood, the moms swapped kids for meals all the time. And I kind of wonder if all of our moms, I don't know if they talked about it, but we all seem to eat over at somebody else's house one night a week. Everybody in my little group. And so I, I never thought about it before. Did my mom just have Tuesdays? You know, where she would feed the gang and Mrs. Disher would feed us on Mondays and Mrs. Schoenberg on Wednesdays and Mrs. Teeter on Thursdays and on around the horn with all, the, all of us kids. Maybe, I don't know. But it'd be a pretty cool thing to do. Now that I have lived my life and don't do that anymore, it's a good time to have ideas like that, I suppose. Verse 6. But if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, who would cause a child to sin? When I was, when I was a missionary, we uh, dealt with uh, people who lived in little communities more out west than the big community. You would, it would be like your block or your subdivision. There would be kind of a little community there. And we found out that some of those, those communities, the parents would laugh and hoot if, their, if all their children had learned to swear. And how hilarious when the four-year-old, you know, is coming out with the F word and things like that. And they thought it was just the funniest thing and how healthy, how good for them. And, uh, and, and I mean, we were shocked by it and offended by it and we were, we were outraged by it. Um, and we were the ones who were outsiders. We were the ones who were then not welcome. You know, if you, were, if you dared to show your shock or your uncomfortableness or your outrage or your please don't teach my children to do that statement, you'd be the outsider, the outcast. Go ahead. Oh yeah. Sure. Yeah. I remember talking to my wife about this once that I was I was delighted that that our kids were were happiest 
with the extremely wholesome TV shows, you know, where the thing that uh, uh, my son would run home from school, he would want to see Gilligan's Island, yes. you know, stuff like that, and, and just ordinary stuff. And my, I had one of my sons in his early 20s became fascinated by Perry Mason, <laughs> you know, and was stunned when he found out that one of them, and only one of them, is in color. <laughs> the rest are all in black and white, and there's one of them in color. Um, it was an experiment by the, by the studio once or something. I do too. Actually, I, ha I own all of Perry Mason. I have them all, and, and things like that. And, uh, and I was just telling Kath, you know, how, how you know, I, I was relieved that our kids did that. And she looked at me and, and said, well, you know where they got that from, don't you? And it, it actually hadn't occurred to me that that was a, a, a style of parenting. That's what I watched, and therefore that's what they watched. It was just a matter of imitation that I would, I would, I would haul out some weird quotation from the, the, the Adams family or, or from a classic Star Trek or Hogan's Heroes or something. And my sons all wanted to see all of that and, see, and find out. And to, to this day, they, they all still love all of that. And they make choices when they're watching stuff online. You know, I see them being cautious about that. And I'm grateful. I saw a hand. Did I see a hand? Sure, yeah. And halftime shows. Yeah. So I just agree mm -hmm. for the children that are coming through that include my adult children. Yeah. What they've been exposed to before they were able to carry that knowledge. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, verse, no, I was in the middle of verse six, wasn't I? It would be better for him to have a huge millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. I saw that acted out on PBS once. Uh, I think that they were Puritans, and they decided to carry out punishment that way. An actual millstone on a pier. Down it goes, and down the person goes with it. You know, uh, what, who today does that? The mob, sure. Yeah, sleep with the fishes. Tie his feet to an anvil or whatever, and down he goes. Yeah, yeah, cement overshoes. Yeah. Woe to the world because of temptations to sin. Temptations must come, but woe to that person through whom the temptation comes. Um, I, did I write something about that? Oh, yeah. Is Jesus saying that evil and sin are inevitable? Well, yeah. In what way are they inevitable? Because we live in a sinful world. But who, do, who is the one who doesn't have a free will? Is it God? Is it the devil? Is it man? We have a free will only in one sense. We can only sin. Um, and, and in that sense, we sometimes have a choice in which sin will I go and pursue. But what a choice, you know. That's a, that's a terrible choice. When you send a starving child into a candy store, 
Are you doing them any good? In the immediate future, they think that you are, but not really, not really. Forgive me if you know who this is. Uh, so my wife would have. This is a guy named Patch from Days of Our Lives. Let's just move on, shall we? But uh, if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than to be thrown into the eternal fire with two hands or two feet. If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and throw it away from you. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to be thrown into hellfire with two eyes. When I was a, a vicar, do you all know what a vicar is? A student who's two years away from being a pastor. We have, we, in the Wisconsin Synod, we have an extra school year. In the ELS, they don't. They vicar right before they go out. It's a different system. It's okay. It's you know, just a different school system. Um, but uh, in my vicar year, I was in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and I was the campus vic vicar um, in addition to being a congregational vicar. And we were, at that time, my church was in charge of all of the college campuses in Milwaukee. Everywhere that there was a Wells presence on a campus, we were there on Sunday morning or afternoon to do church services. So that was your Sunday. If you were up, you drove to um, Marquette and Cardinal Stritch and uh, MSOE and MATC and another one I'm forgetting. And then you would end up at UW-Milwaukee. Doing service after communion services all day for the college students. Sometimes with five, sometimes with two, and sometimes with 30, depending on the campus and the day or what have you. And while I was there, we were warned about this saying of Jesus because somebody at another, it was the, um, uh, one of the big reformed ones that's also a publishing company now, InterVarsity. The InterVarsity people had a terrible disaster in the, in the mid-90s, just before I was vicaring. And uh, a, a, a preacher had done a sermon about this. And uh, I believe it was a girl poked her own eye out because of this. And because the, 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 the guy didn't explain it correctly. Um, and is Jesus telling us, to cut off your hand? No, he's telling you if your hand causes you to sin, it'd be better to cut it off than to go into hell with two hands. But what's he really talking about? What is it that causes you to sin? Whatever that is, cut that out of your life. Um, and, in the, and, and in those days, we often would talk about um, cable TV channels. If you can't have HBO and Showtime without just watching the filthy stuff all the time, then maybe save yourself some money and don't get those channels. Um, and, uh, of course, now it's, it's practically impossible uh, uh, to tell somebody that because everything's available for free if you want it. It's all there. Um, and, but cut it out of your life. Um, you know, think about it. When I'm talking to uh, couples in their premarriage and sometimes in their weddings, 
um, I will talk about the hand on the doorknob in the garage. As you come home from work and you've had a rough time with this person or that person or something pastor said in Bible class just set you off or whatever it is, and before you touch the doorknob going into the house to go and, and see your loved ones on the other side of that door, think to yourself, do I want to carry my bad attitude with me into the home or should I just leave that at work? Leave that behind me and then go in because these are the people I love the most in the world. Why would I want to go in and just, you know, uh, set into them? To vent a little bit is not a bad thing. And uh, I know that my wife and I had a policy of at the end of the day, we each would get to vent for a couple of minutes. You know, what, what, what went wrong, what went wrong, and if it was nothing, well, wow, praise God, and we would just go on from there. But yeah, you get to vent, you get to blow off a little bit of steam, and then um, uh, I, I, I have begun to tell people this in, in uh, pre-marriage classes also, because I never realized this until about two years ago when I learned it. But I never, I never realized this, that men, because this is just my world, uh, when I transition between like work and home, I need a little bit of time of, 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 of peace and quiet and just leave me alone time. Just a little bit of that. It doesn't have to be very much, but about 10 or 15 minutes where I'm just there and then I'm there. Does that make sense? I, I know that for many women, that's not required. Maybe for some it is, but for many women, it's not required. And then, you, and then the husband lacks that. And that can just, that, and that can lead to tension at home and in the marriage as well. But go ahead. That, that, that seems like a lot, but okay. Yeah. 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 I uh, when I come home now, often my my sons need to talk to me instantly, and I miss that <laughs> that time. And uh, but that's a, that's another issue. But yeah, uh, so cutting out whatever it is that causes you to sin, um, and what might it be? Um, is it uh, is it a book? Is it a magazine? Is it a newspaper column? Do you get angry and upset every time you read one newspaper column? Or after you see one segment of the news? You know, do you, do you need that necessarily? If it's really causing you, if it's sending you into a rage, maybe you should think about that. You've been listening to Invisible Church, the Bible study podcast from St. Paul's Lutheran Church, New Wall, Minnesota.